You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today... And today, oh. <laughs> there she is, jumping in. Today, as part of our uh, sort of uh, entourage today, we have with us... Becky Mullies. All right, Becky. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Becky right now. She has been interning with us for, I don't know, about a year or so. It's been close to that anyway. Getting to there. Getting to there. But she's not interning anymore because Becky is a licensed real estate agent and a realtor. Woo! Yay! Very Sorry nice. if that was loud, everybody. We're, very we're super nice. Excited. We're very excited about that. So, uh, uh, Becky, welcome. I know you've been on a podcast before, but now you're official. I know. I have credibility now. That's right. <laughs> and you've done a tremendous job on all street of, cred. Well, but all the work you've done, right? Coming to a lot of stuff with me and working with my clients, that, you know, with their permission, obviously, and then all the studying and passing that test with flying colors mm-hmm. first time, as well as going to college at the same time. That's, so, yeah. a girl after my own heart, really, because yeah. that's kind of what I, I know. I, did. I was going to yeah. say, it's not exactly what you did, pretty much. Yeah. So, awesome job, and uh, let's it. jump right in. We are yeah. now uh, doing our final. Uh, redux of our seller series. So this is three of three. Uh, We've talked about a lot of topics in one and two, but in three, we're specifically talking about money. What is my home worth? Money, money, money. Which really kind of breaks down into three questions we'll get into. And then we're going to talk about as a seller, what happens after you've gone under contract? Like, how do I get under contract? What does that mean? And then what are the steps that typically happen after you get under contract up until the point where, well, not only do you close, but you've got some cash in hand or in your bank or whatever, assuming that you know you have some equity. So let's mm-hmm. let's jump right into it. There are three questions that I think we can say completely encompass this whole how much money am I going to get? What is my home worth? And and those three questions are anybody with the first one? What are my goals? What am I what am I doing? Like after we figure out like all the things we're doing, that is going to go into the equation of what's your home worth. Of course, it's worth what someone will pay for it. All right. right? So we've got what is my home worth? But that is a little bit tied to right. what your goals are. Yeah. Well, but That's so, why I jumped with what my goals are first. Right. So what would be some <laughs> goals that people might have that would be a little bit different that might affect what they, the third question, right? Well, I'll give you a real life example, Eric. I'm in. All right. So I've got some sellers I've been working with for quite a while now that their parents uh, both have passed away. This has been in the home or in the family for years and years and years. They are done with this house. And when I mean done, like let's go yesterday and get this thing sold. (laughs) So they might be a little more motivated than your seller that's like, I need profit to go buy my next home. And I'm not in any sort of rush and I can wait for this market to give me what I want for the house. Very different situations. Sure. So, I mean, we, we we typically, when we start having the discussion, we immediately kind of jump to, I want to get the most money out of my house as possible. But that's not always the case. Well, and of course, we'd love to get you the most money that we can get you in the shortest amount of time possible. But again, that is subjective to every single seller's goals. So we talk about, like, so let me break it down for everybody in the three questions. I look at it like this, like, what is my home worth? What are my goals and objectives? 
And then what should I list my home for? Which is a, could be different than what the home is quote unquote worth because my goals and objectives might modify that a little bit. Uh, I personally have sold a home where my attempt was to get absolute top dollar. There were some very special features of the home. I knew that the people that would be very attracted to that would be limited in nature. So I was willing to list it at what I thought was an appropriate but relatively high-end price and wait. Yeah, and I've had some really high-end clients. Um, a lot of them kind of roll the dice, so to speak, right? They don't have to move. They're in a really good position. So I think I've had a seller list of close to $2 million, didn't sell it, took it back off the market. The next time they came in, they came in at like one seven, And I think we ended up selling around 1.5. So that particular type of seller, they wanted to get the absolute top dollar for their home. And they were okay if it didn't sell and okay, we're staying where they were at. But the listing you have now, a lot different. Like, you know what? This is They're just, done. Yeah. I just they're it done. done. Get it out yeah, the door. Absolutely. Yep. They're done. What are some factors that don't, uh, when we start talking about what a home is worth, uh, what are some factors that absolutely have nothing to do with what your home is worth? What you paid for the home. That's right. What you paid <laughs> or for. Or if grandma gave it to you. Yeah. yeah it, it has nothing to do or with Or if it was a dollar. Here's another one. Here's another one. How much you owe on it. Yes, yeah. this is true. has nothing to do with how much it's actually worth. So if I were coming to you and saying, hey, uh, what's the value of my, how much is it worth? Uh, uh, Jen, what, what, what approaches would you take to help that client out? I love to look at comps. Right. And I'm doing that heavily right now for one of my new construction clients because they feel like they're buying at the very top end of the market. Um, so we have done extensive research down to how much does this particular subdivision appreciate versus another subdivision? Because they are very interested in knowing that if they were relocated again soon, that they are not overpaying for this home. So looking at those comps, um, in this case for the buyer, but of course that seller who is a builder is also very interested in what those comps are and has definitely expressed to us that he protects his comps, which we're happy to hear. Right. So when we say comps, we mean comparables. And so one of the things that uh, a lot of agents will do, we all do it here, uh, is we do, uh, sometimes it's called a comparable market analysis. CMA. Or a competitive market analysis. Mm -hmm. Those two terms are used interchangeably. And that is, in fact, uh, the way uh, I do it is a for, you know, I can produce a formal document with comparables. We make adjustments to houses that maybe have a little bit more or a little bit less than yours so uh, that you can get a good solid idea. And that's typically how price how homes are priced. Uh, pretty much, I, I was about to say everywhere, but I don't you know You know, you can everywhere. break them out per square foot. Um, interestingly enough, I wanted to reference this lovely Super Bowl thing that we've got going on here in the Kansas City area, and they threw out um, the median price of list per square foot in Kansas City is 198 and in Philadelphia, it's 200 So interestingly enough, the markets are pretty comparable. And a lot of times in new construction, you'll get price per square foot. And some people coming, especially from other markets, are very, very interested in and what that price per square foot is. We're not quite as focused in this market on that all the time. I think we do lean more on the comparables here, but I have had particular buyers or sellers that were very, very in tune with wanting to know what that is. Price per square foot, sure. Yep. And by the way, I should tell our listeners that we're recording this uh, two days before the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57, by the way, and it's getting published uh, like three days after 
Yeah, so we can't either. I hope that we'll be really excited that the Chiefs won. That's right. Maybe there'll be a parade, you know, all those things, and hoping it's not ball-chilling cold again like it was last time a Super Bowl parade happened. But anyways, I digress. Confidence is key. Yes. (laughs) So we've got what my home is worth, and a, a CMA is a great way to kind of gauge what your home is worth. Then we factor in your goals. Right. What you know, do we are are we done? Do we need to get out of it? Are we willing to maybe fix a few things that we think might either improve face value or improve improve that that curb appeal or that just will help sell the house? Maybe uh, uh, get more buyers interested because that's kind of we talked a lot. Did we talk about clean? Yeah, we we did. I mean, if you've listened to any of our podcast friends and you know that you are going to sell a house. Uh, clean is important. As a matter of fact, the listing I'm talking about, we did accept a contingency, which we're going to knock on the door of here just briefly. And the listing agent, I said, did you guys get an offer yet? And she goes, no, but I'm paying for a professional cleaning for them tomorrow. I think it will help. And I'm thinking, yeah, yes. that should have been step one. That's right. right? And don't forget the windows. I was, yes. gonna, I was about to say, Eric always talks about the windows. That's yeah. right. Don't forget the windows. Okay. So we take those factors, sit down with you, and then we say, here's your CMA. Here's what we're seeing. What are your goals? What do we need to do? And then based on that, we collectively come up with a list price. So, I mean, you're the boss, but we're going to give you uh, advice. Our best opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's that's how we figure out, right? How much money am I going to get? Now, uh, that that really doesn't answer the entire question of how much money I'm going to get. There's one more thing that we do, uh, a good agent will do for you, that will do for you as well, which is um, if you – Let's say you've decided you're going to list your house for three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, and it sells for asking price. Are you going to get three hundred fifty thousand dollars in your pocket? That would be no. the gross number, Eric. That'd be gross, right? Yeah. So, so a lot uh, of people are familiar with gross and, and net, net. Mm-hmm. and of course, we're going to break down what's called a seller's estimated proceeds for you. And we're going to go through all of those lovely costs that there are to selling the home. Just to name a few, we've got title, we've got deed recording, we've got commission, we've got several different expenses that will come out of your gross number to then, and as well as paying off your loan, if you should happen to have a loan, that's usually the biggest number in the whole equation. Um, And once we're done with that, we will come down to the net proceeds number uh, that can be dispersed many different ways. And we'll talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to want to get that that uh, seller's estimated proceeds sheet, right? So that you know, hey, if the house sells for this much, then this is how much I'm expecting to get free and clear. We're assuming that you're going to want to do something with that money, maybe buy a new house, maybe it's part of your retirement fund, whatever it is. Uh, you obviously want to know exactly at the end of the day how much equity you're likely to get uh, based on this transaction. So. Yeah, and depending on their needs, that may be what their down payment for their next home is. That's absolutely right. I mean, it certainly has been for me in the past. So mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Uh, so uh, you're t- always talking about, like, we're going to go under contract, we get these offers. Uh, so what, what happens? If somebody wants to buy into my house, they, they give me a call and go, hey, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you 150 bucks and we're done or whatever it is. That, Where's uh, this house at? Yeah. 150 <laughs> bucks? 150 bucks. I got that in my pocket. Let's go. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, good. You're going to buy dinner then if you have that in your pocket. <laughs> um, so, so how how do when we say you get an offer, right? So, 
we've listed the house. We're allowing showings in our house. We've talked about that in the previous episode. If somebody's interested in buying our house, they don't just call us up and flip us out a number. They, in fact, provide a legal document. Well, I mean, they might do that, but we would actually like an officially signed, legally binding contract making an official offer with official earnest money, an official closing date, and giving us a lot of those details that we really need to know if they're our winning buyer, especially if there's multiple offers, which still happens occasionally. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely happening in parts of the city uh, pretty strongly right now. I know. This market is so strange, guys. And it's, you know, we're recording this, like I said, real close to the Super Bowl. And there there has been a lull. To be fair, there was a short lull here. And there's still all of a sudden, uh, it has picked back up here recently. But not everywhere in the city, because we're certainly got some buyers out looking in places where prices are still stagnant and uh, houses are still standing way way more aggressive than it was oh yeah pre-pandemic yeah i mean so you're talking 30 60 days and people are going oh my that's forever yeah that's well that (laughs) was used to be way faster than the norm Uh, but depending on where you're at there has been an uptick and you know credit it to mortgage rate not going up with the fed rate whatever you want to credit it to um the seasonably unseasonably warm weather you know something's going on again well, let me uh, let me unpack a couple of things that we said in there because we talked about uh, essentially verbal offers and uh, paper or contract offers. So the one that you need is the written offer that's a legal contract. However, uh, there are times where it's very appropriate for a buying agent to contact a listing agent and to do some measure of verbal offer. And one of those might be in a multiple offer situation where you have a client who can only go so far. My client Mm -hmm. is going to go here. Is this competitive enough? Should we write it up? Right. So we used to do that a lot just to save everybody a a kind of a nightmare uh, or save the headaches of a lot of paperwork. Another time that that might be really appropriate is if you're in a negotiation period, which we'll talk about here in a second, but there's a lot of back and forth going on with your agents. And so they might say, okay, let's just back and forth verbally so we're not, this contract doesn't have 25 counter offers on it. Uh, and, you know, so that, and when we get to the final one, we'll write it up clean. So these are these are well, appropriate. Well, in addition situations. to that, Eric, there's more. I feel like there's more times whenever there's verbal offers. I know I don't have as much experience um, with listings and whatnot. Um, but for example, I was just talking to one of my friends who's buying a house, and they were talking about how they saw this house that they loved, but they saw it at one o'clock, and at two o'clock they were not taking any more offers, and so. Perhaps if they were going to put in an offer, they were going to call, their agent should have called and done that. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I I remember you telling me this story just the other day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I do. Yeah. No. uh, And and, uh, that's absolutely correct. If if you're in a multiple offer situation with a deadline, Mm -hmm. uh, your agent should be doing and you, you are seeing the home and deciding on making that offer close to the deadline. Unfortunately, that circumstance happens sometimes. And so that would definitely be a position where I, as an agent, would call the listing agent and say, hey, look, I've got an offer. Here are the details of it. I, this is when I can get you the paper. You know, it's just to make sure that you're in under that window. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's an excellent uh, place to do that. Uh, so you are going to eventually get this legal written contract. Uh, one of the things I do want to mention as we're talking about contracts is realtors are not lawyers, and I don't want you to think that I'm giving anybody any legal advice. But we do have a lot of forms here in Kansas City produced by the Kansas City Regional Association of Realtors who do have lawyers who put these forms together. 
Uh, and then the, the pertinent sort of um, variables in them are things that we can fill in with you. There's also uh, addendums and amendments that can be made that, that realtors are capable of assisting you with. Uh, an offer is probably going to consist of multiple documents. It's going to consist of a seller's disclosure, which we talked about you needing to fill out at some point. Uh, that's going to have signatures on it. Depending on the age of the house, it might have lead-based paint. Uh, depending on the nature of the um, brokerages involved, there might be a franchise disclosure. There could be a handful of other documents that then all are listed on the primary offer document, which in the Kansas City area, if it's being used, is 16 pages long. Yay! Yeah. So there are a couple of circumstances here in Kansas City where that uh, uh, KCRIR standard form is not being used. And those, well, Jen, why don't you, I know, uh, I know, because you're dealing with uh, uh, one, I think, um, on uh, new construction. They frequently... Don't. Yeah, they have their own contracts. This particular one is using the KCRR New Homes con okay. Construction Contract with addendums. So that's specifically how they're doing it. But there are a lot of builders out there, and, and I do think this is going to start to change, but those builders had some very advantageous contracts mm -hmm. to themselves. I will say the one thing that most builders require is that non-refundable earnest money, which is kind of the sticking point for new construction. Um, and unfortunately, with the situation these particular clients got in, that did become an issue quick. And I would say a lot of the reason they're sticking with it is they know they can't get that $10,000 back. And that's a low amount for a new construction home for a buyer, actually $10,000. But um, that particular contract is very encompassing of things like, do you want a sprinkler system? You you know, <laughs> do you have a box to check just like we do on the regular contract now for the home warranty? You've got to check a box. It's right. not just to leave blank and move on. It's pick yes or no. Um, check yes or no. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the new construction is, ooh, I don't even know how many pages that is, Eric. Uh, I do believe it's longer than the regular KCRAR contract, though. You know, another group of people that sometimes use their own contracts uh, are uh, home flippers, uh, ones that do that in scale. Anytime, uh, I mean, you need to be aware of what the standardized contracts are doing and saying. Your realtor can uh, explain that to you, but if you really need legal advice, you should get that. But if you are looking at a contract that is not the KCRAR standard that you don't believe, you know, and you haven't uh, been comfortable with how it's been explained to you, definitely seek some legal opinion. It is 20 pages, friends, so, so it is longer. The new, con new construction so is? So could you elaborate on um, how like the documents would work if someone was doing a for sale by owner, how that would be any. Well, that's a good point too. That can be messy. Um, I can tell you the for sale by owners that I have been involved with, um, we've ended up using uh, the KCRR documents. Yeah, typically mm -hmm. what I do on the for sale by owners, if my uh, buyer is represented, because at that point we're representing yeah. the buyer, um, we just use a standard KCRAR contract, and it says that we are representing our particular buyer, and the seller is unrepresented because they're representing themselves. So right. that's typically, typically the way that we address Since it. Since we're putting in the offer, right, yeah. we're choosing which documents to do. But sometimes uh, sellers have a notion, uh, for sale by owner sellers have a notion of things that should and shouldn't be in a contract. So. Potentially. But I will say even on our KCRAR documents, it does say carefully read the terms herein before signing. When signed by all parties, this document becomes part of a legally binding contract. If not understood, you should consult an attorney before signing. Yeah, absolutely. 
The um, there are variables in there though that you will want to look at. Obviously, the big one, money. Um, uh, there's uh, an option sometimes uh, buyers ask for seller paid closing costs. So it's important that you know if that's in the contract so that that would adjust. Sort that affects of, your goals. Well, and also the net amount you're uh -huh. going to receive. Um, uh, the closing date, possession times, warranties. There's a lot of things on there that you'll want to pay attention to. Uh, your realtor will be able to you know, walk you through all of that. Let's talk about, did you say possession? I don't know if I, I heard did. you say it. Yeah. Let's talk about that for just a minute because this has become an issue in a recent contract of mine, unfortunately. And so we try and do a good job on our side with listing and talking to our sellers about if we need um, possession after closing, what that looks like, and discussing that at the time of offer. Um, currently, a seller that's being represented by someone else, they have been all over the board changing our possession times here, there, everywhere. And now they want another week after closing. Um, and that is, we had agreed to closing and possession the same day when this contract was signed. So it's very, that is the number one litigious point and the number one miscommunication in real estate transactions. If you talk to the board, if you talk to MREC, if you talk to whoever, the number one miscommunication comes down to closing and possession. Right. And we've talked a handful of times on this podcast that those two things are not necessarily simultaneous. And, no, they're not the same thing at all. And in the contract, you specify both of those individually. Absolutely. And so I just, for our potential sellers, this is something you really want to think about wholeheartedly is it's fine if you need that extra time after. I would even recommend go ahead and ask for it on the front end. Hey, buyer, love your offer. Thank you so much. We just want to make sure that we're getting you a clean home in the best condition that we can. So we need three hey, days that, after closing to get you possession of this. Just think about that in advance and don't get so excited when you get that legally binding contract that you're so excited <laughs> that you forget that you might need those extra days. And then you sign that document because in this case... Buyer and seller can work out the details of another week. We have a buyer that has another home. They're not bound to getting their booty out. And so it's okay. But I'm going to tell you, it's not yep. like that. And moving is the most stressful thing that you will do. Whether you're the buyer <laughs> or the seller, we love you to pieces. But I eyes wide open, as Eric says, oh, yeah. this is a stressful process. And we do try and make it as smooth as possible. But I think anybody that tells you you're going to have a stress-free transaction has never moved before. <laughs> <laughs> well, so case in point, right, after the recording this podcast, Becky and I are going out and showing a home, and in the uh, notes to other agents, they've said, here's our preferred closing date, and here's our preferred possession date. I and love that. They're already That's saying, hey, is... we want to keep possession for three days to move out or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I we don't have that kind of problem when we represent sellers because I know that's one of the big things we talk about. Oh, over the course of my couple of decades, I have had some heartbreaking conversations due to one thing or another. I've had just f things happen. And again, this is why I'm harping on this at the moment. And I'm on my <laughs> soapbox about it because I've had some heartbreak stories, um, whether you know it was buyer or seller, whatever. But it's just really important to think about that. All right, uh, let's jump in to very quickly talk about contingency offers. Um, and a contingency offer essentially is I'm going to put an offer in on your home, but my offer is only good if I sell my home. Yeah, so there's lots of pieces that we can unpack in those contingencies. Um, 
when I myself am listing your home as a seller and somebody makes a contingent offer, I want to know the address. I want to see photos of the home. I want to have the opportunity to come tour that home. And then I want to restrict the number of days. The standard KCIR contingency, I believe, gives them 30 days to go under contract. That's correct. I like a lot shorter time frame if I'm taking a contingency on the home just because we want to make sure it gets under contract. And you in this market, Mr. Seller, do have the ability to kind of control that closing date. So you can make it little faster if you need to. Um, but that's just something I do. That's kind of the standard overview of the contingency. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, they're not necessarily a bad contract to take, but there is theoretically there is a, a risk. risk. Yeah. yeah. Because if they don't sell the home, then you've gone under contract and then you have to go back in the market. And if you're, if you're in a rush to move, there you go. Yeah, it's it just not gonna work out. really depends on those goals that we talked about. All right, so I have a contract now, and uh, my realtor uh, has brought it and presented it to me, and uh, I kind of like it, but there's a couple of things on there that I don't like. What? What do I just have to say no? Counter offer. That's right. So there, there's a negotiation period here. Absolutely. Well, not even a period. It could go back and forth for well, it's who a, knows how long. It's not a defined period. Yeah. But there's certainly right. Uh, so you can you can do a counter offer, and there is a formal uh, uh, contract document for that. There is a document for that. And um, then the buyer could counter offer again. They absolutely could. And so this was one of those circumstances where if there is going to be a fair amount of back and forth uh, in good faith, frequently the buyers and the listing agent. An email agent, would be sufficient. Right. They'll and start, counter offers uh, don't just include the price. They include like could um, be a lot of things. you're leaving the refrigerator or not. And so it's important to pay attention to those documents because the buyer's um, offer supersedes your um I don't know. What it's Original like. base contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yes. And so, um, like, if they say they want to keep the fridge and you originally had excluded it, then that would be a counter offer. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And what I do like about the uh, revised KCRAR forms is they're actually check yes or no boxes again. <laughs> They've gotten really fond. Whoever's on the forums committee has gotten really fond of these check yes or no boxes. But in this case, it'll say changed from original contract or same as original contract. Right. So there's actually several line items that you either have to like purchase price, same as original contract, different mm-hmm. closing costs, same as original closing date, possession date, and it's actually go through the line of the counter offers, and that is spelled out for you. Yeah, so really good documentation yeah. that's available. Uh, and your Thank you, Forms will... Committee. Right. <laughs> um, now, your agent during this period is going to negotiate for you. Uh, having your agent negotiate for you is generally a good idea, As a, and this is part of the big service that we bring. And uh, you could almost encompass all the things an agent does during this negotiation period uh, down to sort of offshoots of one philosophy, which is your agent is not anywhere near as much, I'm not going to say they're never, but they're not near as much emotionally invested as you are. And this can kind of be a big thing because if you get it, let's say you're listing your home again at 350 is that imaginary home, and somebody comes in and gives you an offer at 320 Right. Your immediate reaction might be, who do those sons of guns think they are? What? How dare they lowball me on this house? Those jerks. I have worked so hard and we have repainted and we have upgraded and blah. And, and you have to understand that they're just trying to start a negotiation. And you know, I always say it's their job to ask. It's our job to say no. That's right. And vice mm-hmm. versa. When we're representing a buyer, it's our job to ask and it's their job to say no. So you think of it just as a simple, you know, not it's a non-offensive thing. I mean, I do 
especially with homes, um, I think there is a coaching process that can go into that. But we can definitely counsel you into that counter offer, although it is always your choice to reject an offer and write them a note if you should so choose, because I have had a seller do that before. <laughs> Just happened recently. I had never had that happen before, but they were like, no, I want to sign that rejection and I've got something to say. And I was like, <laughs> okie dokie. Yeah. And I've, but you know, I've seen once you can kind of get your client back to the big picture and what, you know, is likely going on here. So you can counter offer to that. Uh, in in a way that says yeah no no we're not we're not even close yet however um, if you want to keep talking so you know somebody offers three twenty on your three fifty you could counter and go yeah three forty nine nine I'll I'll drop it a hundred bucks you know which is a way of saying One absolutely eight. not but if you want to keep talking and get up to real numbers I'll I'll have a conversation so with to you. continue the story of the seller that wrote the nice note. Um, not only did he write the nice note, they did come back again with a not much higher offer a second time, to which he counteroffered higher I've, than yeah. the heard I've heard that. I haven't had a client do it yet, but I've definitely heard that. Like, hey, you know. and uh, I think I've had people talk about it. I don't know that I'd actually ever had anybody do it. But again, we're in a very different market now. So that's probably why what's giving a seller the confidence to be so cocky, if you will. Like, oh, let me tell you what. So... They did, and uh, they ended, they ended up, but they ended up selling it to another buyer, which is what I thought would happen. It was probably best for everyone <laughs> if we're right. being honest. At that point, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you might get multiple offers. Uh, there's a handful of ways to handle that, uh, but there's one really common way, but really quick. Uh, sometimes as multiple offers come in, uh, they can be presented one by one. You can finally go. A spreadsheet is a far better way to yeah, go. That's the a way Google I do it. Doc, a but I'm just saying link, these are ways uh, that yeah. can happen. Yeah, yeah. It can I, be a lot of I, different ways. Another and thing you Ultimately, can... we give everything to the seller uh, per their request or our fiduciary responsibility, yeah, right. but there is an easier way to present all the information. All right. But let me go to the second way, which is not the easier way which is also something that's not done very much, uh, which is uh, you can have multiple offers and then you can ask your agent to essentially um, uh, essentially create sort of a very slow auction environment where that you can negotiate and say, well, I like your offer, but I need this. Maybe you go to the next person and go, I like your offer, but I need this. And they can sort of auction it back and forth. Now, uh, in, in the United States anyway, we are not a bartering culture. And so this is really considered, um, a lot of people find this distasteful. There's nothing illegal or immoral about it or unethical. It's just that's not the way we in the United States typically negotiate. Um, Maybe at this point we should talk about escalation clauses because you could do your highest and best offer and then there could be some escalation clauses thrown in there. Well, we haven't gotten to highest and best yet, so give me just a second to get there. Right, Jen so, just wants to talk about. Yeah, it. she wants to talk about <laughs> escalation <ready>. classes. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, but just to finish up with the whole auction, there are actually some countries that that's the only way real estate is sold via live auction. So uh, you know there are cultures that certainly support that. the The final way and the way that is typically done with multiple offers is uh, once an agent knows that they have multiple offers coming in, they set a deadline and they say, "Give me your absolute best and final offer by this." time and date, which is actually something that Becky was talking about, which might be a circumstance if you're shortchanged that you might try to do a verbal offer if mm -hmm. they'll accept it. Um, when that happens, now you've got to write up your best and final offer. Like, well, what is the best offer I'll put in on this? And sometimes you can add something called an escalation clause. Why don't you walk us through with what those are, Jen? Yeah. So you, as the uh, buyer, 
with an escalation clause are saying, okay, you've got a $350,000 house. However, I really, really, really want this house. So I am going to escalate this up to $400,000 because I really want this house. And so I will pay $1,000 over the next highest offer up to $400,000. And I'm making all that up. It could be $2, it could be $5, could be $1,000, could be $500, could be $2,000. Whatever you want to make that, it can be. And it doesn't have to be $50,000 over. It could be, you know, three seventy dollars could be your number. Whatever it is, you just make that offer and escalate it up to XYZ price to promise to purchase that house for that amount if multiple offers are received. Now, there are some agents out there uh, and or brokerages that um, don't like escalation clauses. I'm not exactly sure why. They're perfectly legal. They're in my client's best interest, uh, but they'll do that. So you frequently, uh, you'll have a discussion with your agent if for some reason you don't like them, uh, but I think they're perfectly acceptable. One of the things that uh, we, we've noticed is um, sometimes people do escalation clauses when they're trying to lowball a house. Uh, where they'll start well under the asking and then they'll escalate up to the asking or a little bit over it. Um, yeah, those I could see where people find distasteful. It really feels like you're trying to pull the wool over their I eyes. I see those more in this market, though, where we're having this shift. So they yeah. don't know. It's been on the market for a little while. And then what, you know, this is happening to like a household been on the market for 20 days and then all of a sudden three offers come in. It's happened to me for yeah, on no, some of mine. So yeah. then as a buyer, you're like, what? This house has been on the market for over two weeks in this market. And now they want to tell me they have three offers. Well, I'm not giving them list price. And I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. So at that point, I am seeing those escalation clauses with that under list price offer up to maybe five or $6,000 over the list price. And, you know, yeah. just so depends. So I, again, I, I, I'm not 100% sure why some agents don't like them, but. Uh, well, I think they just want to especially when there were so many offers coming in they just wanted to know what your best offer was well i mean and i want to jack around with trying to and i will tell you there was some problem with how they were written for a while we do have a another form for this now um an escalation clause addendum but previously people were writing their own and sometimes their math was not their math correct. Or, or their language yeah so, so you're right there's like, there's a solid well. form that makes this very clean and, <laughs> and and clear and concise and uh and you know what i'm a data guy and i I can put a thousand escalations on the spreadsheet and make it clear to my client where they're going to land. So. Yeah, absolutely. We can certainly do that. But uh, I think that was a little bit of the reason in the beginning. Um, they were all over the place and there was no standard on it. And it was it was messy. All right. So we've gotten an offer. Maybe we've gotten multiple offers. Maybe we've negotiated for a while to make some changes in it to get it something that we like or that we'll accept. And boom, we've accepted an offer. So boom, we're official. Yes, we're <laughs> official. We are quote unquote under contract. Um, all right. Well, what's next? What's next? Okay. So you know how we always like to talk about all those 400 touches that come throughout this transaction? Right. We got to get this contract to a lot of people usually once this thing is signed, sealed, and delivered, right? We've got earnest money to get to the title company. And we got to get contacts out. And then we've got to make sure that title company knows what this is for when they get it. So they need a copy of that contract. Hey, the buyer might have a lender. They need a copy. Hey, anybody else that's affiliated, we got to start firing that out every and, which direction. And hey, if you have a mortgage payoff that's going to be done as part of this sale, we need to make sure that gets to your title company as well. Absolutely. 
So uh, that that's the first thing that your realtor will take care of for you, which is to start getting the documentation to everybody who needs it to get this transaction completed. One of the things that we've, you know, we want to make sure you know that that's the point where you're going to have to put together your mortgage payoff information if you have it and get it over to the title company. That's right. Now. Other things that typically go on, we're going to talk about the typical transaction here. First thing is? Uh, We're going to schedule some inspections. Inspections, right. Becky, you've been to a couple of those, haven't you? I have been, actually. Well, Yeah, you have. What kinds of inspections can get done? So we have radon, there's chimneys, there's um, roofing. there's the whole home inspection, oh, of course. Oh, there's the um, like sewer lines. Sewer line. So there's a lot of inspections that you can do. Yeah, it's gonna well, there's, there's so probably many. anything you can look at in that house. I and bet you there's somebody on. that'll do an inspection for it and charge you a few yeah. hundred bucks. So I bet you that's possible. So. Buyers are going to schedule these inspections, uh, and so as the as an your agent, they're going to, the, the cat. The cat, the cat has joining. made the studio, uh, saying there are pet inspections. No, um, <laughs> hey, you never know. Don't forget me. Next year. Um, so yeah, uh, the um, uh, your agent will coordinate those inspections. Uh, now, um, typically they're all done at the same time, but not necessarily. Frequently, it's harder to get the chimney people out at the same time. That's been well, my experience. Realistically, what happens here is we have the whole house inspection, and mm-hmm. from the whole house inspection, you know they'll ask you if you want a termite or radon and possibly a sewer at the same time as that. Usually, once we get a hold of that whole house inspection, there may be some additional analysis needed, whether that's an engineer's report, whether, you know, the, the sewer or the lines look really old, whether, you know, the roof looks really old. You mentioned that, Becky. So it depends on what we see on that whole home inspection. As a rule, those guys are going to test your appliances. Um, they're going to look for any real visual defects. They're going to climb up in the attic. They're going to look in the basement. They're going to do just a They're going to turn your a, water on. They're going to yeah. run your dishwasher. Yes. Um, but and and so these typically take two to four hours. Um, it is not a requirement, but commonly uh, you as the owner will leave the house, uh, but not a requirement. Um, and then the buyers themselves will almost always be there as we certainly encourage our buyers to be there at, at a least minimum. the last part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to do a review. But frequently they'll come spend the entire time there collaborate with the inspectors they'll also take that time to do things like i don't know, get measurements and just kind of take another Pick out paint colors yeah, get whatever. ideas for curtains you name it that's a great it, time for you to get back in the house and, well and for check a buyer to get back into your house the house yeah. you're selling them and and so that's pretty common which would be another reason why a lot of times sellers vacate just because that sometimes can get awkward although so. if you want to be there we'll ask you lots of questions yeah they will ask you a <laughs> lot of questions so um after the inspection period is done, uh, of course, there could be a negotiation after that if there are some unacceptable conditions found. And so that is something else, again, that your realtor is going to help you with. Uh, that they, they may ask for certain repairs to be done. They may ask for certain money off of the contract so they can do the repairs themselves. Or they may just say, hey, we're really happy with where we're at, uh, so we'll take the house uh, you know, as as, as inspected. So, and we're going to have a couple forms that go with that. It's going to be the inspection notice, and then if we do have a resolution to go with that inspection notice, it will be the resolution of unacceptable conditions. 
All right. So after that, then commonly or typically, because most uh, homes are purchased with the help of a lender, there's going to be an appraisal. And that is ordered by the lender. And the appraisal will typically almost always happen after the inspections. Uh, appraisals don't tend to take very long. Buyers are... T- I would say an hour. If you, yeah. you know, and a lot of the work, they'll do a lot of homework outside before they go inside the house. Yeah. Now, there is a case that they can't have a drive-by appraisal if you've got a buyer mm-hmm. putting down a lot of money. Um, sometimes underwriting authorizes a drive-by appraisal and they won't Don't even have, have to, to go. Inside. And once in a while, uh, depending on the buyer and the lender, they will not even require yeah. an appraisal. This, so. this house did not require an appraisal. So there you go. Yeah, it just you go. really, yeah. there's circ- every transaction is different. That's the fun thing about real estate. Assuming that you do have an appraiser that's coming inside, again, that will get scheduled. You will know uh, when that occurs. Uh, it is uh, extremely less common to have buyers present during that, although it can happen. You know, they just sometimes they're so quick in the appraisal. We even say, hey, I'm going to be in and out. And, and you know, what's, what has happened, though, and, and we say you can't be there, but if you do work from home as a seller, we certainly, I've had that happen where I had a seller that had to be at their computer yeah. at XYZ. I mean, they cannot be gone because they work from home. So if that is the case for our sellers, we certainly know that you have to be home and we just tell people that and we tell them, do not bother you. As a matter of fact, you can put a little sign on the door because that's what we had to do for this gal because people kept trying to talk to her and she's like, no, I'm yeah. on the phone. And I, I'm I've, on the I've toured houses where that's happened. So, yeah, when we say during inspection, buyers, uh, sellers, you know, owners are typically not present. That's typical. If you need to be there, you need to be there. Yeah. If you, you know, and if you want to be there, you can. Absolutely. Uh, with appraisals, it's a lot less common to have sellers leave. So as a seller, being there for an appraisal, and they're, they they literally, it's nothing like an inspection. They're looking around. They're looking at. Uh, they're um, determining the value, making sure it's there, yeah. checking the box, and moving on. Yeah. So they're. They're in and out pretty quick, typically. Um, So that one's pretty easy. Uh, Post-appraisal, should the house not appraise for what the offer is? Or condition. uh, Or have a condition, depending on the type of loan, et cetera. Uh, Well, even conventional loans can get conditions. Can get conditions. Not as common, but... Got one today. Did you? You're just just having a beautiful day, aren't you? (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, there's, again, a negotiation period that can occur. Uh, based on you know conditions or based on it not uh, matching the asking price. And so uh, your realtor will help you through that. The final step before you get to closing is something called a final walkthrough. And that is something that buyers will do. Uh, they'll do it as close to the closing as they can. Uh, I know Jen really likes to do them about an hour before closing. Uh, Just I, to double check. Although uh, I will say in a new construction, um, you will have several walkthroughs before your final walkthrough, just as a note. Yeah, that's true. Because, I, am, I am delving yeah. into the uh, walkthroughs of the new construction here directly with my new construction clients. Yeah, absolutely. So um, once and, and by the way, what that's for, so everybody knows, that is not a, uh, a boy, do I really want to buy this house. That is um, to make sure that there has not been a substantial change in the house itself. So, for example, uh, walls haven't been torn down. The, uh, the house didn't burn down. Yeah, uh, it really to make sure the house didn't burn down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there hasn't been some substantial structural change or other change since the contract went into place. Because that's part of what the contract says, is the house will be kept and maintained in the condition it's in now. Yeah. Um, then closing. 
Um, closing is um, commonly in our area is done by title companies. Uh, I'm sure you've done closings outside of title companies. I have not yet. I've even done closings myself with cash transactions. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah cause drive, it, drive stuff around and let's close, can do baby. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a, a much more commonly would be a title company performing the closing for us. Yes, and as a seller, you are going to be in and out of there so fast. It is so anticlimactic, um, which it's one of the most interesting things in real estate to me is how long it takes to buy a home versus how long it takes to sell a home. Yes. Because it takes a good solid hour if you have uh, loan docs. Even if you don't have loan docs as a buyer, you still have a lot more documents to sign. But as a seller, you are in and out of there signing a warranty deed is a lot less encompassing than a purchase uh, mortgage money mortgage deed or any of those things and so like five ten minutes wham bam thank you ma'am grab so. a grab a water <laughs> or a coffee on your way out that's right um so and, and as a seller you can close before the closing date uh which is also very convenient uh so that you have a lot more flexibility when you can get in and close um but yeah, it's come in, sign some paperwork, uh, have a cup of be coffee, on your way. and be on your way. So it, it, it's pretty anti. Smile, take some pens with you, get a calendar. That's right. Still <laughs> early in the year. Um, one of the things that uh, it's I find amazing that uh, I end up near the end of a con- uh, closing period that so many realtors don't discuss very well that I have to kind of pull teeth, which is. The transfer of keys from uh, one from the previous, you know, my seller maybe to your buyer or vice versa, depending on what side of the transaction I'm on. And of course, this plays very heavily into when possession is. Uh, but uh, that's something that a realtor should take care of for you. I know I personally really like to be able to, whenever it's appropriate based on possession, to be with my buyers and hand them the keys. And so I also, with my sellers, let them know exactly when they can expect somebody to uh, start occupying that home. So not only when the deed has been transferred, but when somebody should be in the home. Um, So again, your agent should be able to help coordinate that. It's usually the transfer of a single key to the front door because everything else gets left in a box. Right. As a seller, you're going to want to have collected all those. We've talked about that a little bit in our previous episodes, but collect everything. And then an agreed upon location by you and your agent that they can convey all of this is being left in this particular location. Garage door openers, keys, all of those good things. And then another thing I want to point out to our sellers, which has become more of a need um, as inflation has really taken effect, is make sure that you have called your utility companies and shut those utilities off. And if that buyer has not contacted those people to get those transferred, that is a great time for you to bring that up again. Um, And you can do that a few days before closing too because they theoretically can call and set them up several days beforehand. Um, But that is imperative. I actually just uh, had a deal on on a, it was actually a rental, but it makes me bring this to mind where somebody didn't get those utilities transferred and somehow they had either reverted back or whatever even the previous tenant had a $400 bill that was not technically there so uh, in the case of a seller you know they're expecting a final bill and if the utility company is still sending them to their address just does not bode for a good uh, overall end to the transaction so just as a checklist item um, and we've got that on our checklist hey sellers call and check those utilities yep Check them, tell them uh, when your final day of responsibility is, and confirm with them where they're going to send the final bill. That is right. Yeah, absolutely. So 
We're there, right? It's all done, and I have- Cash, green, money! Yeah, where do I get that? So let me toss out this concept of funding. Um, and Concept? What do you mean? Well, <laughs> so funding is a, is a thing in real estate, and funding for us with a title company involved is, is when the title company has all the monies in hand. When the title company has all the monies in hand, the deal is funded. That does not necessarily mean you have all the monies in hand. Well, hopefully it's pretty quick, though. It should be. However, one thing to note is when the title company is funded and you're having that money transferred into an account, there are limitations of bank and wire transfers based on time of day. And so if the buyer isn't closing until the late afternoon, then there's a good chance that that money won't hit your account until the next day although the transaction has funded, which means the title company has the money and right, they're, they're putting it into your account whenever it's uh, feasible for them to do that. So when you start talking about when things are funded or when I have cash in my hand, be aware of that. You, like I say, a good agent is going to talk you through how that's going to happen. Uh, a good agent will be in tune with the buyers, finding out when they're closing so that they can give you an idea of whether or not money is likely to hit your account that day. Yep. Uh, so, uh, a funded transaction, <laughs> got to be careful with this one, is, uh, is, is extremely highly probable to complete all the way. See, yes. <laughs> Unless somebody's hacked, which has actually happened right, recently, yeah. so but we won't, we won't digress onto that yeah. one. Extre that was extremely highly one. likely that it's going to complete all the way and you can have a lot of confidence in that. Uh, so if a title company says we are funded, that means the money is in their hands. And probably around noon is kind of that cutoff because I think a lot of banks cut off at 2 p.m. So if you're closing after 2 p.m., they're probably not taking any more wires after 2 p.m. They just right. have to get everything in and out. So um, if that is a conversation, you probably better have that sooner than later to get all people on the same page of that. Um, and that way, as a yeah. seller, you know, we're looking out for that. If you're a seller dependent on those funds to get that for your next transaction, no problem. The Dream Homes by Genty. Is yeah, there's no question where <laughs> I've been asked by sellers agents for, could you please see if your clients would close early in the day? Uh, yeah, everybody yeah. does, but only yeah. so many early hours in the day. That's right. So, all right, that's it. Now, not only have we gotten you to close, but we've gotten you past close where the money is in your account or maybe you've been handed a check or whatever it is you want, how you want those funds distributed. We've gone all the way to close and beyond. Don't spend it all in one place, friends. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Or if you do, bring me along. <laughs> or buy a really nice house. That's right. Um, that's that's. The end of our series, right? That's three of three. We're there. Hopefully, this has been very helpful for you as you've gone through as a seller to understand what the typical steps are, the things that you're going to be making decisions on, and what the process looks like. Hope you've really enjoyed it. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, Visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com, where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.